Um, so I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. I'm sure you have. But um, you ever have somebody that you expect to show up and they never show up? Maybe it's a physical thing, like you were supposed to get lunch or coffee with them, and they just forgot and didn't show up. Maybe it's an emotional thing where you thought they'd show up for you, and they didn't. Um, as a pastor, um, I work more than just today, surprisingly. Some of you may not know that, but today's not my only day at work. I actually work the rest of the week. But 50% of my job is drinking coffee. That's most of my job is going to get coffee with people. That's just what I do. I don't mind it. I like it. In fact, um, a pastor friend of mine uh, taught me this. Uh, he said that... Um, he said that when it comes to people, you're never wasting time with people. So if people want to get coffee with me or, or go get lunch or dinner, I don't consider that wasting my time. In fact, that's what I feel like my main part of my job is. I'd rather sacrifice my sermon prep time or sacrifice my meetings or answering emails in order to be with you, to, to go get lunch, go get coffee. I'm not willing to sacrifice, now don't get me wrong, I'm not willing to sacrifice my family's time for you, okay? Like, they, they have their own time. I like you, but I like my family way more than you, okay? They're cooler than you, and I want to hang out with them more than I want to hang out with you, okay? So I do that all the time. But the, for me, the hard part for me is I value time. So I truly believe one of the best ways that you can show somebody that you love them and respect them is by valuing their time. So if you say you're going to meet at a certain time, I think one of the best things you can do to show that person you care about them is meet at that time, is to actually be there on time. I think that's important. Um, So for me, what I started to do, because um, some of you um, don't think that's as as important, so what I started to do, if I'm going to meet with somebody from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock, no matter what time you get there, I'm done at four. No matter what I have to do. It's a way to be like, hey, come on, respect my time and respect yours. I got here a little early so I can hang out with you. But every once in a while, something will happen where I will meet with somebody and I'll be waiting and 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, I shoot them a text and then all of a sudden they call me and goes, I completely forgot what we were meeting today. That happens every once in a while and I get it, it happens, that's life. But there's one time that I was meeting with somebody and they forgot once, and then they forgot the second time and then the third time, I'm sitting there waiting for lunch with this person. And um, the waitress comes, is like, oh, you, are you waiting for somebody? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they'll be here any minute. They're like, okay, sure. Like the passive aggressive, they're not coming. Kind of eyes as you walked by. And then 10 minutes go by, I text them like, hey, you coming? Like, what's going on? I'm embarrassed. They, everyone thinks I'm a loser here. Can you, are you coming? And um, they don't text back. The waitress comes back. You sure you don't want to order? You want an appetizer? You're, you're hungry. I don't know if your friend's coming. And I'm like, no, they're coming. They're coming. And uh, then after 20 minutes, uh, that person calls me. like, I'm so sorry. I forgot again for the third time in a row. And that time, um, I would just like, okay, like whenever you hear those, like, okay, all right, yep, like that's all I'm saying. That's telling that I'm not happy that, about this. Three times in a row that I'm trying to meet. So then I hang up, but then at this point, I've been sitting there for 20 minutes, taking up this poor waitress's table, only ordering waters. So like, I guess I got to order some food. So I was like, so she came back, I was like, I'll order some food. She's like, oh, your friend's not coming? I was like, shut up, you know you want to come. So order food, and for that person, I've never met with them again. I haven't done it, because I was like, I'm not sending any more times, because you were supposed to be here, you are supposed to show up, and three times in a row, you didn't show up. We have all experienced moments like this. Someone was supposed to come to your party, and they didn't come. Your spouse was supposed to pick up food on the way home, and they forgot. Your child was supposed to do their chores, but they forgot to do them, or just simply refused to do it. It is frustrating. It is frustrating when you trust that someone says they will do something, and then they don't do it. And if you have followed God long enough, we've had the same feelings with him. We are told to pray, but when we do, it doesn't feel like anyone's listening. We are told that God will provide, 
but then that bill comes that we can't pay. We are told that God will always be there for us, but then we get that call from the doctor. We feel like God is calling us to do something, and then the path forward seems impossible. If you haven't felt this way about God yet, it's because you haven't been around him long enough. All of us at times get to the point where it's like, God, you were supposed to show up in this situation, and you didn't. God, where were you in this moment? And sometimes you may respond like I responded, never again. Not meeting with you again. I'm done with it. I'm not going to do it anymore. You didn't show up again, so I'm done with it. But what if, what if the problem isn't that God isn't showing up? What if God is showing up, but we just can't see it? What if God does show up, but we just don't always like the way he shows up? What if we have been looking at God like he is the shortcut to something when really he is the solution that we should be surrendering to? What if God hasn't showed up because he already moved, he's just waiting for you to turn around from the path you're walking down to see it? What if God is going to show up, we're just too impatient? Because here's what I'm going to argue today, and I'm going to give you some scripture to back this up. I believe that God always shows up, but you decide whether you see it. God always shows up, but you decide whether you see it. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Kings or your Bible apps. It'll be on the screen as well. But 2 Kings, let me give you some background on 2 Kings. Um, there's 1 Kings and 2 Kings, two different books in the Bible. Um, but when it was written, it was not written as two separate books. It was one large book, and when it was canonized, they made it two separate books. So 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Um, before 1 Kings, we see in 2 Samuel that David was king. And David, um, you may know David from David and Goliath, um, that David. David was king, and he was a, as good of a king that Israelites had. Yeah, he did murder somebody and have adultery, but besides that, he was a pretty good king. So that's who David was. And in 2 Samuel, David promised that the Israelites, and the Israelites were God's chosen people. That's the, that's the people in the Old Testament we read about, the Israelites. Um, David promised that the Israelites would one day have a messianic king that would establish God's kingdom over all the nations and fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham. If you read Genesis, um, there's a covenant made just to Abraham. And David said, I promise that a king is coming. So the book of Kings, both first and Kings, keeps talking about all these different kings that did not measure up to that messianic king that David promised. All these kings that did not measure up. And by second Kings, the nation of Israel, again, God's chosen people, was split into two parts. There's the northern part, which is still called Israel, and then there's the southern part, which is, um, which is Judah. In 2 Kings 3, Joram is the king of the north, okay? Um, some game of the man. Um, and then Jehoshaphat was the king of the south, as in they're both part of Israel, but um, one is king of the north part, one is king of the south part. Moab and the Moabites was another nation um, that decided to rebel against the nation of Israel. So um, Joram and uh, Jehoshaphat get together with the nation of Edom. They decide us three, so the Israelites and another nation, are going to fight against the Moabites to feel like God's calling them to do that. And that's where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called the these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of, of the Lord by him? 
So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha is the son of, of, of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the kings of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So here's what's happening in case, I know it was long, in case you um, didn't catch that. The armies are together and they are wandering around. And for seven days they are wandering. They're in a detour. They're just kind of walking around. And for seven days they have no water. That means there's no rain and they have no water to drink for seven days. So they start thinking, hey, why would God call us to come here and fight this, this army and then not provide water and then we're all going to die to death from dehydration? Why would God do that? So they start questioning with each other. And they go, what, what should we do? And then one of them says, hey, I know this guy named Elisha who's a prophet. Maybe we should go ask him what God is, is saying. See, back then, prophets would speak for God. That's what they would do. Um, if you wanted to talk to God, you would go to a prophet, and they would tell you what God is saying. Before Jesus, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to ask a prophet. Once Jesus came, Jesus became the ultimate prophet, so now you and me can go directly to God. But back then, if they wanted to talk to God, they would go to a prophet that God would anoint. So they decided, no, let's go to this Elisha guy, and we'll ask him. And here's what happens in, uh, starting in verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I will not look at you nor see you. Now bring me a musician. Here's what he says. Elisha says, Hey, why don't you go uh, ask your prophets, because you're all part of a different nation. They go, well, we're all together, and so we have different ones, so we figured we'd ask you. You're Elijah's mentee, so why don't we ask you? So he's okay, fine, because I like Jehoshaphat so much, I'm going to do it. And then I love this last line, and Pat, come on up here for a second. He says, bring me a musician, which is funny to me, because here's what Elisha knows that as a pastor I know. Music has a way of changing the atmosphere, the way you use music, the way you change, like God has a way of using music to connect with your souls. That's what he does. All of us, no matter what music you like, whether um, it's, it's, it's rap or country or rock or hardcore or whatever, all of us have songs that connect with us, right? To connect to our soul without us even knowing. And Elisha knew that even back then. So he said, hey, bring me a musician. I'm going to have him play whale sounds behind me, maybe a harp or something like that. And I'm going to start prophesying. And here, I want to prove to you how powerful um, music is when, when, you spot, when you speak. A lot of times, a musician will come up at the end and kind of play. And the reason why we do that is so that you know a couple things. One, I'm closing. So it kind of makes you go, okay, good. He's almost done. The music, musician's up there. But sometimes the musician comes up like, I, got, I still got 10 minutes left, so I trick you. Um, and then two, it just kind of has a way of bringing like the feelings. But the thing is with music, I could say anything right now even if it wasn't that powerful, but because the music's playing, you're going to feel something. I'll prove it to you. Ready? I'm getting in my, in my, my mode. Okay. So I was born in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia. I was born and raised there. And the playground, I hung out a lot. Most of my days where I spent there. And you know, kids do, they chill out max and relax, all cool. And I decided I was going to shoot some b-ball outside of school. But this one day, a couple guys, they were up to no good. Started making trouble in my neighborhood. And one fight, it's all it took. One little fight, my mom, she got scared. 
She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. So I whistled for a cab. And when it came near, you won't believe what the license plate said. Fresh. And even a Dyson in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but I went, you know what? Forget it. Yo, Holmes, let's go to the Bel Air. I pulled up around seven or eight, and I yelled to the cab, yo, Holmes, smell you later, because I'm telling you it was bad. But I got there, and I looked at my kingdom. I was finally there. I was going to sit on the throne as a prince of Bel Air. See, it was more powerful than it really was, right? Yeah, you guys, some of you guys like that. Prince of Bel Air. Definitely had that whole thing memorized. I was practicing. Okay. So, with the musician playing, keep on playing there, Pat. I'm going to read to you what Elisha said while he had his musician playing. And here's what he said. He starts prophesying. He says this. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with the stones. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you need to start digging some ditches because rain's coming and you're not going to see any sign of rain. You're not going to see a cloud out in the sky, but start digging it. When you dig it, the rain will come. And after the rain comes, he will give the Moabites too and you will win. And then he closed with this. The next morning, about the time for the offering, the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Thank you, Pat. Can I give it for Pat for giving some whale sounds? Thank you, buddy. Here's what they do. Here's what they do. They start digging these ditches. They start digging these, these ditches, getting ready for the water to come even though there's no sign of water coming. And then the next day they wake up and there it is, the ditches are full of water. They obeyed and God showed up. God always shows up. You decide whether you see it. So when you need God to show up, if you're in one of those moments right now where you have that feeling, it's like you're praying for God. God, I need you in this situation. God, I'm looking for you in this. If whatever that is, or if you have had those moments in the past, when you need God to show up, what do you do? I'm gonna give you three things that I think we should do. The first thing we need to do, just like the story told us, dig. You need to start digging. I don't know if you noticed that in this command, um, the Israelites are there and, and they say, start digging. Elijah didn't say, hey, here's what I want you to start with. Start with singing some worship songs. Um, uh, why don't you go and give a tithe and offering? He didn't start with that. He didn't say, first, I need you to fast. He didn't say, first, I need you to pray. He said, no, what I want you to do first is start digging a ditch. Dig. This is not a spiritual command. It's to dig. It's a physical command. And the, the question when I was reading this is why, why do they, why does Elisha, why does God call these people to dig? Why would he do that? And here's why I believe called him to dig and why he's calling us to dig. They are participating and making room for a miracle. That's what they're doing. Some of us have been praying for God to show up. And today you need to hear that God can and will show up. But before he does, you need to create some space in your life so that when God shows up, you'll actually see it. Some of you have been praying to meet somebody one day. You want to get married and meet somebody one day, and God's saying, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start digging a ditch. 
Would you start preparing yourself now for when you get married? That even though I know you don't know anybody yet, you're not dating anybody yet, but start preparing yourself now so that when you do get married, you will have a happy, healthy relationship. Start preparing today for what I'm gonna do later and eventually you're gonna find that person. Dig a ditch. Some of you are praying for a new, do- new job and God says you need to start digging a ditch instead. Listen, I know your, your old job sucks. I know the job you're in sucks. But you, if you want that new job, if you wanna pray for that new job, start working your butt off at this old job now. Start working hard now. Start making sure you practice those certain things and find your fulfillment not in the job but in something else so that when you get that new job, you will be prepared for that new job. Some of you are praying for more stuff and God says, dig a ditch. I'm not gonna give you more stuff unless you know how to handle the stuff I've already given you. Start practicing generosity. Start putting me first now so that when you get all the other stuff, it's not gonna control you and it's not gonna control your heart. You won't be full of greed, but you will still be generous and giving the way I've called you to be. Some of you want a spiritual breakthrough. If you want a spiritual breakthrough, it starts with physical obedience. Our obedience leads us to breakthroughs. And at times, we're gonna do something that doesn't make sense. You're telling me I, I don't have a lot of stuff, but you're still telling me to give it away? That doesn't make sense. You, I don't have any dating prospects, and you're telling me to prepare for marriage even though I don't have any dating prospects? I, I'm already an anxious person, and you're telling me just to step in obedience in, anyways? doesn't make sense. I mean, imagine the Israelites. They start digging this ditch, and they keep looking up at the sky. It's like, do you see any rain? I don't see a single cloud out here. Keeps digging. Can you check your app? What does the phone say it's going to be? Zero percent for the next week? What are we doing? We're preparing for rain that has no, no, no cloud, no cloud, no cloud. There, it's not coming. So they just keep digging. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. You know what God is really asking for us? You know what he's asking for when he tells us to dig? Humility. Will you humble yourself and do something that to you might not make sense? but you'll do it because I told you to. For a lot of us, you go, hey, God, here's the thing. I'm gonna take this step. I'm gonna be obedient to you. But first, before you do that, can you explain what's gonna happen next so I can weigh like my pros and cons list here really quick and I can really figure out this is the right step to take. And God says, no, no, no. I don't need to explain anything to you. I'm telling you what to do. Start digging. Take the step. Take the step, and then I'm gonna show up. Whenever you ask for a miracle, God gives you an instruction. And here's why digging is so important but for a lot of us, we are too clouded by pride to see it sometime. Because did God really need the Israelites to dig a ditch in order to provide rain? No, he didn't need it. He could have done it any way he wanted to. He did not need the Israelites to do that. But he commanded the Israelites to dig a ditch so that they can participate in the miracle. Jesus did this constantly. Jesus would heal somebody and say, hey, your faith healed you. And I'm like, no, Jesus, their faith didn't heal. You did it. You were the ones that healed him. He said, no, no, your faith healed you. It's like, okay, Jesus, you did, almost, you did 99.99% of that. He said, no, your faith healed you. Why? He wants us to participate in the miracle. He wants to do it together. We have the privilege to participate. You want God to show up, start digging. Be obedient to him. Then what do we do? Here's the hardest one. Number two, wait. And we gotta wait. The Israelites spent all day digging. They finish up, no rain. Still not a cloud in the sky. I, I can just imagine they're digging and they start eating after they finish their digging. And they're eating, they're like talking to Elijah. Like, man, we're really thirsty. There's nothing to drink. 
we've been working all day digging this ditch and there's still no rain. Elijah said, okay, I, I don't know. I don't, all he told me to do was dig a ditch. He didn't tell me what was next. Okay. They're brushing their teeth, looking outside, like I don't see a cloud still. And they go to bed. They have to wait overnight. That hadn't happened immediately. The second they hit their obedience, it doesn't start raining. The first time they put that shovel in, it doesn't start raining. They got to wait overnight. They got to go to bed. They go to bed. They went to bed tired. They went to bed thirsty. They went to bed dehydrated. They went to bed still defeated. It wasn't until they woke up the next day that they received the miracle. So after you dig, wait, wait. I know we want it now, but God says to wait. I know how hard waiting is. If you're not sure how hard waiting is, I'm going to prove it to you right now. You ready? How terrible was that? That was 15 seconds. That's all I waited. And that was the worst 15. Everyone stopped live streaming, I bet. Like, they were like, I'm done with this. 15 seconds of that. We hate waiting. We don't want to wait. I get it. We hate it. In fact, we hate waiting so much that we ask God to show up. And if it isn't fast enough, we say, see, he didn't show up. That's what we do. And God looks at us and says, oh, you don't just want me to show up. You want me to show up and do it in your time. Here's the thing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Because, I don't know if you know this, but um, um, I need you to know that not only am I going to show up, I'm going to show up how I want to, and you're going to learn something while you wait. You're going to learn in the process. I don't waste any time with you. So listen, I will show up when I show up. I'm not going to show up when you tell me to. And when I show up, it is the exact right time every single time. It's not your time. It's mine. You need to wait. God tells us to wait. When you've done all you know how to do, wait. Say, you might say, I, I, I keep praying. I've been praying about this forever and ever. I, I started giving. I, I, I started putting God first in my family. I gave an offering on top of that. I fasted. I've been reading my Bible. I've been asking God, now what do I do? Wait. Wait. And then number three, we trust. When you dig and when you wait, you are showing that you trust and the longer you dig and the longer you wait, the more trust you show. Um, there's a, where, in case, if you're new here or this is your first time or you've only come a couple times, um, we are, uh, we'll be three years old in September, September 16th. Um, so the launch process, we started four years ago. Um, and a lot of you that have been here know the story of, of um, how it started. But I'm going to give you some details I've, I haven't really shared that much. Um, so in August of 2018, uh, we were getting ready to start the process to launch Impact Church. It's going to be a year-long process, and there was a church that was fully going to provide everything they needed, all of our finances, pay my salary for the first two years, all that kind of stuff. That didn't work out. So September came, and we had to figure out a new plan. Two people on the launch team, myself and my wife. That was it. Um, and then uh, we had no money, and I didn't have a job at that point. So I met with our district superintendent, uh, Dr. Bowser. If you were here, uh, I think it was like a month ago, he was here and he preached. Uh, I met with him, and I met with my mentor, um, who, uh, his name is Ken. And we met to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? What's his plan? How are we going to figure out what to do? And so he got practical with me. He said, here's what you're going to need to do if you want to start this. We're going to need to raise money. It's like, here's the thing. I've never done that. He said, yeah, you have to figure it out, because that's what you need to do. In order to start, 
You got, if you want to do any ministry, you're going to need money. If you want to have any rent, you're going to have to figure it out. So we started to map it out, and we made a plan. And here was the plan that we made, the plan that I thought was impossible. He said, all right, the first thing you need to do, um, well, we're, he said the district, our denomination, our district, will, will give probably fifteen dollars or $20,000. Um, from other churches, you probably need to raise like 40000 in order to get all the equipment you're going to need to do that, $40,000. But before you do any of that, you personally have to raise $10,000 in two months because no one's going to give to anything that you're not working hard and you're not trying to raise money for. So before any of that happens, you got to raise $10,000 in two months. And I remember going, that's impossible. <laughs> I have never raised money. I, how in the world do you raise $10,000 in two months? It's like, okay, we'll figure it out. I was like, do you know how? He said, no. I said, okay, great. Thanks for your help. Um, so I started writing letters. I started meeting with people. And a month went by, and we had until the end of October to raise $10,000 so that way we can meet with our district and, and do that. So that was our goal. And at the end of October, we need to raise that much money. So I'm praying, God, I need help. September, the end of September comes. You know how much money we had raised? Nothing. Not a dollar. I had sent letters. I had met with people, everything. Not one dollar we'd raise. Like, what is happening? This is not going to work. We have a month left. So then eventually some checks started coming in. We were about halfway there. It was two weeks before our, our deadline that we gave. And um, my wife's grandfather called me and uh, said, hey, we want to have you over for dinner. We got your letter. We'd like to talk to you about stuff. I was like, okay, sweet. So we go and I do my pitch and the thing that I've been telling everybody what we're going to do, how we want to be in the Marysville Sykesville area at the time and, and when we be a church makes a difference. We're going to do a lot of stuff for the community and that no matter what happens, that's what we're going to do. When we be a church makes a difference. We're going to be in the community serving them with no agenda attached. If they never come to church, it doesn't matter to us. We just want to serve them. That was giving this pitch. And he was kind of asking me some questions. He goes, okay, cool. Um, yeah, we'll give you some money. We'll give like, I don't know, 1500 and I was like, $1,500, that's awesome. He said, no, 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 you didn't hear me right, $15,000. I went, what? He's like, yeah, you want, do you want a check? Is that fine? I can write it right now. He starts writing a check. It's like, how did that happen? Not because I was anything good. By the end of October, in two weeks, we were able to raise close to $30,000 personally before anybody else showed up. I don't say that to brag because trust me, I did it too. If it was anybody else, they'd probably raise $60,000. I only could only raise thirty because of how bad I was at it. Here's, what I'm, here's why I'm telling you. In September, when I didn't have a job, and we were having those bills pile up, and we believed in this calling to start this church, and we had no money, I was asking questions. God, I thought you called us to do this. First, you took the, the main plan away, and now you're not bringing any money in. Where are you? I started asking questions. But God showed up. He always shows up. You decide whether you see it. God always shows up. You decide whether you see it. Now, I'm not here to tell you that, hey, you just got to believe enough, and then God's going to bless you with $30,000, okay? Make sure, I want to make sure you know that. Because even if God didn't provide the finances we needed, I truly believe we would have found a better way and a different way, the way that he wanted us to do. And if it meant not having all this stuff and not having a building, we didn't have a building. God's going to show up. You decide whether you see it. Sometimes we don't see it because we aren't willing to start digging, but when you dig, you are participating in the miracle God wants in your life. Sometimes we don't see it because we simply won't wait long enough. But if you wait on the Lord, you will be renewed. He will grow you during the waiting. You will be stronger because of the waiting. It will be exa exactly how it should be. He's going to show up, but you just might need to wait longer. Sometimes we don't see it because we just don't fully trust him. Listen to me. Not only is he worthy of our trust, 
He is the only thing worthy of our trust. He is the only thing that won't let you down. He is the only thing that will never leave you or forsake you. You need to trust in him. God is waiting for you. So whatever that thing you're calling him for is, whatever that is, start digging. Start moving in obedience first. Start doing that now, preparing for him to show up. Then start waiting and participating in the miracle. But here's the thing. It's really easy to feel this way when we're in church and he's playing whale sounds. But here's what I want you to do. Pat, you can stop. When this is over, this is what it's going to sound like. The feelings that you might feel right now might be gone. We all say, yeah, I'm willing to do it here while we're playing whale sounds and we're trying to help you. But then we got to go in the car and our kids are going to be crying and we got to figure out our lunch. Then we got to go to work the next day. Then we got to live the rest of our life. And then we got to go back to our marriages, back to our normal life. There's no music playing in the background and the feelings aren't there anymore. And there we are stuck in silence. Anyone can make a decision right now. The decision that we need to make is tomorrow and the next day. It's easy to say, yeah, I trust you, God, when we're playing certain music to make it feel different for you. But what happens when the feeling is gone and there's no music behind, you, behind us? What happens then? Here's what I would tell you. Dig. Yeah, Eric, but I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter. Dig. And wait. Yeah, but I don't feel like I don't have that feeling anymore that we had when we talked about it. It doesn't matter if you have the feeling. Wait. Yeah, but I don't feel like trusting. I don't have that feeling of trust anymore. It doesn't matter if you have the feeling. Just trust. Step in obedience to him. You don't have to feel it. You just move in obedience regardless of how you feel. You can still worship God here even when you don't feel like it. You can still love even when you don't feel like it. You can still forgive even when you don't feel like it. You don't have to feel like giving to still put God first in your finances and give. You don't have to do that. Don't be misled. You will not always feel it. So I'm not gonna have Pat play behind me to give some, some emotional re reaction from you so you make a decision. I'm not gonna do it. We will next week, okay? He'll be back. But I'm not gonna do it today because we need to understand something. You're not always going to feel it Emotions and feelings can be misleading. It's not about our feelings. It's about obedience. You know what you call a parent who is only a good parent when they feel like it? A bad parent. You know what you call a spouse that is only a good spouse when they feel like it? A bad spouse. You don't have to feel it to obey. You don't have to feel it to move. The difference between a good and bad parent or a good and bad spouse is what they do when they don't feel it. That even when the emotions aren't there anymore, we still step in obedience to him. That's the difference. God always shows up. You decide whether you see it. You don't have to feel it to do it. Start digging, waiting, and trusting. God isn't waiting for you to feel like showing up. He just wants you to show up when, no matter how you feel. Let's pray. Dear God, we uh, thank you for this opportunity that we have to participate in the miracle that you have given us. And dear God, 
I pray for everyone in this room that is praying for something. They need you to show up. God, I pray that you give them clear instructions on what to do next in obedience. What digging looks like in their life. Help them to wait and trust no matter how you feel, no matter how we feel. God, I pray that we are people that follow you when we emotionally want to and when we emotionally don't. Remind us that you are the God that we can trust, that you are the God who always shows up for us. We know this because you sent your son for us. So dear God, I pray today that as we sing this closing song, that we take this opportunity to make a decision to step in obedience to you. Then when we go back to our normal life, when the feelings aren't there, give us the strength to continue to be obedient to you. The God who always provides for us, the God who is always there for us. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this closing song together.